European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 47, Focus Issue on Acute Coronary Syndromes, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Managing Acute Coronary Syndromes, from Novel Biomarkers to Mechanical Support Devices and DAPT Thrombocytopenia. Soluble biomarkers, in particular troponin, have revolutionized the management of acute coronary syndromes. While myocardial proteins reflect necrosis, so far no biomarkers reflect early events such as ongoing ischemia. Furthermore, precise risk stratification at presentation and after the acute event is still not perfect. Roland Klingenberg and colleagues from the Kerkhoff Clinic in Bad Nauheim, Germany, addressed this issue in their fast track, Cysteine-Rich Angiogenic Inducer 61, CYR61, a novel soluble biomarker of acute myocardial injury, improves risk stratification after acute coronary syndromes. They identified a novel biomarker i.e. the cysteine-rich angiogenic inducer 61, or CYR61, involved in the early events leading to acute coronary syndromes and evaluate its role in diagnosis and risk stratification. Its identification was based on gene expression profiling in coronary thrombi obtained from ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction patients where CYR61 gene transcripts were highly upregulated compared with peripheral mononuclear cells. In a murine ischemia reperfusion model, myocardial CYR61 expression was markedly increased compared with controls. Similarly, CYR61 was rapidly released after occlusion of a septal branch in hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. In over 2,100 patients, CYR61 improved risk stratification for all-cause mortality when added to the reference GRACE risk score at 30 days and one year, surpassing high-sensitivity troponin T. The authors conclude that CYR61 is a novel early biomarker reflecting myocardial injury that improves risk stratification in acute coronary syndromes. Microvascular obstruction is the underlying cause for the no-reflow phenomenon in ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction and so far difficult to treat. Although microvascular obstruction can be assessed by cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, its relation to prognosis has not been convincingly demonstrated. In their manuscript entitled relationship between microvascular obstruction and adverse events following primary PCI for STEMI, an individual patient data pooled analysis from seven randomized trials, Greg W. Stone and colleagues from the Columbia University Medical Center in New York, USA, sought to determine the relationship between microvascular obstruction assessed early after primary percutaneous coronary intervention in ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction and all-cause mortality, hospitalization for heart failure, and reinfarction. 
They performed a pooled analysis using 1,688 patients from seven randomized primary percutaneous coronary intervention trials in which microvascular obstruction was assessed after reperfusion by cardiac magnetic resonance imaging using late gadolinium enhancement. Microvascular obstruction was present in 57% of patients, and median microvascular obstruction averaged 0.47% of left ventricular myocardial mass. A graded response was present between the extent of microvascular obstruction and subsequent mortality and hospitalization for heart failure. Microvascular obstruction remained significantly associated with all-cause mortality, but not with subsequent myocardial infarction, even after further adjustment for infarct size. The authors conclude that the presence and extent of microvascular obstruction measured by cardiac magnetic resonance imaging after primary percutaneous coronary intervention in ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction is strongly associated with mortality and hospitalization for heart failure within the first year. These novel findings are further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Robert A. Cloner from the Huntington Medical Research Institutes in Pasadena, California, USA. Myocardial infarction has been categorized into five types. The differentiation of type 1 infarction due to plaque rupture and type 2 infarction due to an imbalance of supply and demand in the context of hypotension, tachycardia or bleeding is important but challenging in the emergency department. In their article entitled Discrimination of Patients with Type 2 Myocardial Infarction, Johannes Tobias Neumann and colleagues from the University Heart Center Hamburg in Germany aimed to investigate the clinical characteristics and cardiovascular outcome of type 2 myocardial infarction and to develop a clinical decision tool to differentiate type 1 from type 2 myocardial infarction. Type 2 myocardial infarction was the final diagnosis of 99 of 1,548 prospectively enrolled patients. Such patients showed a high one-year mortality rate of 14%, which more than equaled that of type 1 myocardial infarction, which had 9.4%. Female sex, not having radiating chest pain, and a baseline high-sensitivity troponin-1 concentration of less than or equal 40.8 nanograms per litre were the strongest predictors for type 2 myocardial infarction. Their combination resulted in an area under the curve of 0.71 to discriminate type 1 from type 2 myocardial infarction. The binary score, based on this model, assigned one point to each of the predictors Patients with the highest score value of 3 had a 72% probability of type 2 myocardial infarction. Thus, patients with type 2 myocardial infarction are a heterogeneous population with high cardiovascular risk. A score based on laboratory and clinical parameters might help to differentiate it between type 2 myocardial infarction. The clinical value of these findings is critically discussed in an editorial by Christian Tigerson from the Aarhus University Hospital in Denmark. Cardiogenic shock is a severe complication of an acute myocardial infarction. 
Indeed, although mortality of infarction has been dramatically reduced over the last decades, shock remains a presentation with an exorbitant mortality. Evidence on the impact on clinical outcome of active mechanical circulatory support devices in cardiogenic shock is scarce. In a collaborative meta-analysis article entitled Percutaneous Short-Term Active Mechanical Support Devices in Cardiogenic Shock, a Systematic Review and Collaborative Meta-Analysis of Randomized Trials, Holger Thieler and colleagues from the University of Leipzig Heart Center in Germany investigated the efficacy and safety of percutaneous active mechanical circulatory support versus standard care in cardiogenic shock. Randomized trials comparing percutaneous active mechanical circulatory support to control in patients with cardiogenic shock were identified through searches of medical literature. Four trials randomizing 148 patients to either tandem heart or impeller mechanical circulatory support, N equals 77, versus control, N equals 71, were identified. There was no difference in 30-day mortality for active mechanical circulatory support compared to intraaortic balloon pumping that served as control, although it significantly increased mean arterial pressure and decreased arterial lactate at comparable cardiac index and pulmonary capillary wedge pressure. No significant difference was observed in the incidence of leg ischemia, whereas the rate of bleeding was significantly increased in patients receiving mechanical circulatory support compared to intraaortic balloon pumping with a relative risk of 2.50. Thus, the unselected use of active mechanical circulatory support patients with cardiogenic shock complicating myocardial infarction does not appear to be useful. These disappointing results are put into clinical context in an editorial by Navin Kumar Kapoor from the Tufts Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, and a second one authored by Peter Vidimsky from the hospital Krylovska Vinorady in Prague, Czech Republic. In a final current opinion, entitled the management of antiplatelet therapy in acute coronary syndrome patients with thrombocytopenia, a clinical conundrum, Deepak L. Bart and colleagues from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, remind us that dual antiplatelet therapy consisting of aspirin and a P2Y12 receptor antagonist is a fundamental component of acute coronary syndrome management with long-standing endorsements by both the American College of Cardiology Foundation and American Heart Association, as well as the European Society of Cardiology. Indeed, dual antiplatelet therapy reduces the risk of both stent thrombosis and spontaneous ischemic events at the cost of an increased bleeding risk. The management of antiplatelet therapy in acute coronary syndrome patients with thrombocytopenia poses a particular challenge for physicians as they are at higher risk of both bleeding and, paradoxically, also ischemic events. Unfortunately, there are currently no guideline recommendations or consensus reports to guide clinicians on the management of this cohort. In this setting, the authors examine the evidence to date and provide their opinion on future directions and management strategies for this group. 
the editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.